I always tell my patients that repeated seizure activity is bad for the brain. Now there's a spectrum. I, I do have kids who have frequent seizures and don't seem to be having significant cognitive decline. But for the most part, kids who are having frequent seizures, and I bring up kids in particular because a child's brain is still very much plastic and forming and, and developing new neuronal connections. Fellow homo sapiens, welcome back to Epilepsy Sparks Insights. Now, the topic of epilepsy surgery is a huge one that I find quite exciting and somebody who's had surgery as a treatment for their epilepsy. So in our special three-part series, we cover the safety and efficacy or effectiveness of epilepsy surgery, how we measure epilepsy surgery success, and the question, why aren't patients that need epilepsy surgery getting it? And this is all with epilepsy neurosurgeon Luke Tomich from the Epilepsy Institute of New Jersey. And now on to our start of the week, Luke Tomich. My name is Luke Tomich. I'm a pediatric neurosurgeon by training, but now... My practice basically specializes in pediatric and adult epilepsy care, and um, I'm the chief of pediatric epilepsy at Cesare Children's Hospital at Hackensack uh, in Hackensack, New Jersey. And um, yeah, so that's that's basically who I am and what my practice consists of. And what led you to become uh, not just a neurosurgeon, but one that specializes in epilepsy surgery? I, I wasn't exposed to a whole lot of epilepsy surgery in residency. But then I did my fellowship with a neurosurgeon named Jeff Ogeman in Seattle Children's Hospital, and he had a very busy epilepsy practice. So that was really um, where I first, I would say, got very interested in epilepsy care. And, uh, and then uh, I took a job, my first job out of training uh, in Austin, Texas. And again, I had a senior partner there who was doing close to 100 epilepsy surgeries a year. He had quite a busy practice. And so between my time in Seattle and my time in Austin, I became very interested. Finally, I moved to New Jersey. And, um, and at, that, at that point, I was quite interested in epilepsy and realized that it was really uh, under, under uh, it, it was a need that wasn't being met uh, appropriately uh, by the medical community. I think I think I, I recognize that there was a need mm -hmm. that there were a number of patients who needed this kind of treatment, and um, and so we we began the the task of building multidisciplinary epilepsy care in New Jersey. And actually, that leads us me on to the next question: multidisciplinary care. Um, it, when it comes to epilepsy surgery or surgery of any kind, but in this case, epilepsy surgery, it's not just yourself that plays a part right you must have a team of like a multidisciplinary team of others who contribute in the work up identification of needs etc is that right that's absolutely right yeah there you know a lot of things in neurosurgery um let's say if you're doing spine surgery and a patient comes to you and they have a disc herniation well uh you're going to take that disc herniation out if it's appropriate and that's mostly a decision that you make by yourself as a surgeon but in epilepsy surgery, it's it's definitely a team effort. I don't operate on anybody without uh, the the green light of a epileptologist and without them having been conferenced in a group. And that group generally involves a number of surgeons who are, have a specialty in epilepsy care, a number of neurologists, epileptologists. There are <coughs> excuse me. There are typically neuropsychologists at that meeting radiologists, sometimes pathologists. So it's truly a big multidisciplinary group. Uh, MEG physicists is another group that are often involved uh, or nuclear medicine specialists. So 
so again, it's, it's a big group and, uh, we sort of talk about all these, uh, pre-surgical studies. Um, there are a number of pre-surgical studies that patients often get before they can even be considered for surgery and it takes a long time. And, um, and so it's, it's a big discussion. It takes a long time. Regarding surgery, people think, oh, it's just, you know, you're slicing a bit of uh, brain out and it's going to have this awful effect or this awful effect. Oh, well, if it does stop your seizures, that's great. But what are the other impacts of surgery? And um, sort of what would you have to say to that? Well, so the, the way that I see my job and how I try to describe it to patients is we're looking Again, mostly we're operating on patients with focal epilepsy. And let me just talk a little bit about this classification because I think it's important. We, you know, uh, the International League Against Epilepsy a few years ago sort of did a reclassification of epilepsy. And, and basically people are either having focal epilepsy means that they have a normal brain, but one little area in the brain is not quite normal and it's firing these abnormal seizures or they have generalized epilepsy, which means that we can't see a focal onset. We sort of see the whole brain kind of go off at once, so to speak, uh, electrically. Uh, and obviously, um, when it comes to surgery, we are mostly... Now, there are surgeries for patients with generalized epilepsy, including things like vagal nerve stimulator and calisotomy. But most of the surgeries that I'm doing when I have an intention to try to make the patient seizure free is on patients with focal epilepsy. So now that I've made that uh, um, clarification, I'll tell you a little bit about what I tell patients with focal epilepsy. I tell them our job is to find the abnormal area of brain and to take it out and to do it without damaging areas of brain that have function, whether that function involves motor function, movement of your arms and legs, language function to make language and to comprehend language uh, and visual function. Uh, now I'll tell you when it comes to epilepsy surgery, there's been, there was a recent Cochrane uh, review sort of looking at, I think it was over 10,000 operated epilepsy patients. And they found that the risk of death mortality is less than 1%, significantly less than 1%. And the risk of major morbidity or major complications is around four to five percent, and most of those major morbidities were visual field cuts. And again, as as we uh, sort of talked about earlier, um, many of the visual field cuts are not don't lead to a significant quality of life uh, problem for the patient because many times they don't notice, right. for example, a quadrant uh, a quadrant uh, visual field deficit uh, post surgically. But that was counted in that 4% major morbidity. So I think, you know, what I would tell patients and the purpose of this Cochrane review and the main message was that actually uh, epilepsy surgery very uh, rarely leads to serious complications for patients. But actually, if you look at some of the surveys of patients who are considering epilepsy surgery, there was one survey that we reviewed um, that, that said up to 50% of patients said that they thought death was a common outcome from epilepsy surgery. It's not at all, right? right. It's, it's, it would be very rare. And most, you know, again, most busy epilepsy surgeons, you know, might have a death in, 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 in uh, once every five years in a very rare circumstance. So 
it, it's a rare thing, but but again, I think patients worry about it. I think the the overall thrust of that paper was that patients generally overestimate the risks of surgery and they underestimate the benefits. Uh, and so again, I think part of my job as a surgeon, I always tell people that I'm part-time surgeon and I'm a part-time advocate because a lot of what I'm doing is trying to educate patients and families, educate other healthcare practitioners, whether they be internists, pediatricians, or um, neurologists, to say that actually um, epilepsy surgery done uh, appropriately should not lead to significant new deficits for our patients. In many cases anyway, the earlier a patient has the surgery, if you know that they have refractory epilepsy, the drugs aren't doing anything, etc., then in fact, not only could they potentially improve their life expectancy, but also um, uh, save some brain tissue because, for instance, you know, sclerosis or, you know, can actually worsen. I always tell my patients that repeated seizure activity is bad for the brain. Now, there's a spectrum. I, I do have kids who have frequent seizures and don't seem to be having significant cognitive decline. But for the most part, kids who are having frequent seizures, and I bring up kids in particular because a child's brain is still very much plastic and forming and, and developing new neuronal connections. And so we yeah. know from animal models, we know from human studies that repeated seizure activity leads to neuronal loss, even in distant areas from where, where the seizures are happening. So, you know, I talk about each surgery as a small insult in the brain. Now, in some patients that can be quite um, consequential. In other patients, as I mentioned, we, we don't see, thankfully, we don't see that uh, rapid cognitive decline. But I would say most of the patients I operate on, and I'm thinking like 90%, I get a story of a child who is declining. They're not learning as well. They're not speaking as well. They had several words, but now they don't. Um, They're tending toward uh, a phenotype, uh, an, an autistic phenotype in some cases. Memory. Memory is another big thing. In, in children and adults, you see memory decline over time. You see um, a number of sort of behavioral problems. Um, anxiety, depression, these, these things are all related to repeated seizure activity. And so what we say is that once a patient is deemed drug resistant, so we see that we've tried them on two or three medicines, and they continue having seizures, they should be evaluated in a multidisciplinary hospital that can offer surgery as an option. So I tell patients that we're operating on you for a few different reasons. We're operating on you because we want to stop seizures, because repeated seizure activity is bad for the brain. But repeated seizure activity has a risk of lethality, exactly. right? So if you go to the American Epilepsy Society website, there's a statistic there that more patients or an equivalent amount of patients, at least as many patients, die each year from epilepsy and epilepsy-related injuries as, as die of breast cancer. Now, again, most people hear that and they're yeah. quite surprised because they see breast cancer as a fatal issue. They don't think of epilepsy as a potentially fatal issue. But certainly, um, you know, it's, it's probably every year on CNN or on the mainstream news, you'll see a, a case of a young person otherwise healthy who has epilepsy who suddenly dies. And so, again, I always tell patients, I say, listen, I'm not trying to be alarmist. I'm not trying to tell you that if you don't get surgery, you're mm -hmm. going to die from epilepsy. 
But I do think it is important to give them the data and to tell them that there is a certain annual risk and cumulative annual risk of death in patients who have uncontrolled epilepsy. And so, yes, uh, surgery ought to be part of the way to get patients to the goal of seizure freedom. Thank you to Luke for sharing with us his journey into epilepsy surgery as a profession, as well as information into the safety of epilepsy surgery. Epilepsy surgery is a really big deal and could also be rather exciting, positively life-changing. Next week, we shall talk about how do you measure epilepsy surgery success? Is it via Engel class? So make sure that you join us. If you'd like to connect, you can find me on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook or Instagram. And I'd love to hear from you if you have any thoughts about today's show. Please subscribe to Epilepsy Sparks Insights on your podcast app so that you will never miss the weekly episode. I'm Tori Robinson. Thanks for listening.